0: I'd like to read one verse tonight, uh, it's actually right up here on the wall, um, it's found in your Bibles in First Timothy 1 and 15, and uh, we're going to read this verse tonight, and that's what I'd like to speak on, so if you have a Bible, if you can find it, uh, just so you know that what we're saying is from the Bible, uh, but if you search and you can't find it, it's right up here on the tent wall, First Timothy 1 and 15, First Timothy 1 and 15. The words of the Apostle Paul. He writes here, um, and he, he is able in these words here to sum up the gospel message uh, very succinctly. Uh, this is a, a, a well uh, favored portion of scripture to use in a meaning like this, and so i like to speak on it tonight. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15 says this This is a faithful saying. That means it's a trustworthy, it's a trustworthy saying, and it's worthy of all acceptation. This is worthy to be accepted by any ear that hears it, by everyone. It's worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. We'll read it one more time. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. 25 words in this verse. There's 25 words in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Just 25 words that could give you life tonight. I'm speaking to my audience tonight, and I, I, I speak to all tonight, and I say this. If you do not have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have salvation. You don't have a hope for heaven. And these verses cut through a lot of darkness, a lot of religious filth, and they say, here is the truth. Here is something worth trusting, worth believing, worthy to be accepted by all. And you say, why? Why is it? Well, because it's good news. It's good news. Uh, The the Bible comes like no other book, and Jesus Christ presents a message like no other message and says good news because it says it's not what you do, it's what he has done. It's not about your works. It's about being able to rest in a man who died at Calvary. It's not about your life, it's about his death. This is good news. Because if you come here tonight and I said, uh, you know, church membership, Next 10 years, heaven's yours. I once asked a guy in the back of the tent that once. I said, "I said if I told you to do something and I could guarantee you heaven, would you do it? And he said, probably not. And I said, oh, well, that's, that's rough. That's rough, you know, probably not. I said, good news from the Bible. God says right here in these 25 succinct words, words that cut through almost anything else that you've heard from a religious platform, and yet it's in the Bible, so succinctly put, and says this, no matter the accumulation of wrongs in your life, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. How many sins keep a person out of the place where they pave the streets with gold? How many sins? One. How many sins do you need tonight to get saved? Just one. One sin makes someone a sinner, and Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The pre prerequisite, the qualifications for God's salvation is that you are a sinner, that you have wrongs. As we've been singing, that we are wretches, that we are ungodly, and that's where, that's where our verse, that's where it brings us. So uniquely so. And I'd say it's it's just this kind of message. Sometimes it's 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 things like this that scare people. It's a, actually, if you say, what do I have to fear most? You have to fear a good God. A good God is what we fear the most because uh, just like in life, um, if, if a judge is corrupt, all you got to do is know where he lives, somewhere in Saddle River. And you go there and you, you slip him something, right? You got a corrupt cop. All you got to do is, is know the right thing to give him and you get away. But you get a good judge. You get a good cop. And you know what? You're going to pay. Justice will be served. And a good God, you'd say, excuses no sins, excuses no wrongs. From the least to the greatest, excuses none. And yet a good God gave his son for wretches, for sinners. And so our text says, Christ Jesus came. He came into the world. But before he even gets there, there are these words that preface the statement. It says this, it's trustworthy, trustworthy. I once had a, 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 a teacher at school and she said she was she had done public speaking courses. She says, never, ever start your statements by saying, let me be honest with you. She said, don't do that. That's a terrible idea, because all that tells people is you've been lying the rest of the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Look, wait. you know what? For the past 15 minutes, I, whatever I said, let me be honest with you now. And it says, no, you, you look at someone, you say, well, what was that? What was all that? And you'd say it's unique here. Why in the world does Paul, for the first time in our Bibles, come through with this saying and say, here is something trustworthy. Why does he bring it up now? Why to this point? You'd say, is is he looking back at something else? Because as I go through my Bibles, as I go through my Bible and go through the books, as I turn page after page, it tells me of all the things and all the standards I can't live up to. It tells me what it means to lust, and it tells me what it means. It tells me what it means to, to 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 steal, and it tells me what it means to take God's name in vain. It tells me about all the idols in my life, and and page after page are littered with these ideas of of, of somehow a standard that seems impossible. It, it, it just it it, it bears it, it it brings me low. I can remember in high school when I. I used to compete in track and field out of, out of our four boys in our family. I was the worst. So you maybe never even knew that I did that because I wasn't acclaimed. But when I did track and field, we did, we did the high jump and they would set the bar at about, about five, five feet for our little meets. And I could barely get, get my frame over that bar. And sometimes I would do it and sometimes I wouldn't. But when you went to the big meets, they, they raised it. They raised it up to five, four. And you'd say, why? Because they wanted to get rid of duds like me. They only wanted the best. They only wanted the best guys there. So they raised the bar and they got rid of all just the, the guys who had, who had no skill, who had no, no ability. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes onto the scene and he says, you heard adultery was wrong, but you look at a woman, it's the same thing. You heard anger was wrong, but if, 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 you, if you heard killing was wrong, but if you look at your brother to anger, it's the same thing. And he, what he does is he, he takes this bar that all of us have in our lives and we say, if I can just get over that, if I can just get over that bar, you say, then God's going to be pleased with me. If I can just somehow fling this life over that bar, then I have a chance at heaven. And you know what Jesus Christ did? He took the bar and maybe, maybe it looked like that, that line right there. Maybe it looked difficult, but maybe if we worked out enough, we would get it. You know what he did? He took it from there and he threw it about a thousand feet in the sky. Why? Why did he do that? Why did he throw the bar so high in the sky that eyes can't see it? Because he doesn't want you to work your way to heaven. He wants you to believe that what he did at Calvary was good enough to bring you there. Boasting is excluded and pride is a base because only sinners are saved by grace. Grace means you don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. But you can believe the Bible when it says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came and you'd say, he starts and he says, it's trustworthy. Not only is it trustworthy, but he says, it's worthy to be accepted by all. Tell me, tell me my audience tonight. Tell me of another message on earth that should be accepted by everyone. Tell me of another message on earth. Isn't it our Statue of Liberty there in Ellis Island? The words that are inscribed there right at its base, penned so long ago there about those who would come to these shores. It says, give me your tired. Give me, give me your tired. Give me your homeless. Give me those who, who are your wretched refuse. Send them my way. And those words, it says, just give them to me. All the scum of, of as it were, a, another world welcomed here. And you know, you know as immigrants came here, you know, not everyone got accepted. Some people were turned away. You say, it wasn't a statement for everyone. It wasn't a statement as they approached the statue there and said, that's it, I'm getting in. No, some were turned back. This is a statement. This is a statement. I could close my eyes tonight and I could say anybody could enter this tent tonight. It wouldn't matter where they come from, it no matter what they would have done. Anybody, anybody could come into this tent tonight and I could look at them and I could say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save you. anyone. it's worthy to be accepted by all. you'd say oh oh, oh to God that, that that hell would be empty and that heaven would be overflowing. It's not accepted by all. it's not. it's not because I know that and you know that. we're proud people. we have selfish interests. And if anything has been instilled in us from day one, it's this. I'll do it my way. And even in spite of that, Christ still came. And he still came to save sinners. And he still came. It's trustworthy. It's It, it, it deserves your attention. It deserves your trust. It's worthy to be accepted by all that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, it, it, is, it is one of these statements that if you have to stand before God one day, I was reminded, I have a, a relative in the meeting tonight and I was with his dad once and we were sitting um, across the table from a, a someone else who worked for him and he pointed to the guy and he said, "If you had to stand before God one day? And he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And I thought it was my time to leave the coffee booth and go get coffee. But I thought I'd stick around. And the man said, you know, he, he kind of paused for a bit. He said, uh, I tell him, I tell him I was, I was in the church choir 20 years. Not only that, I was an altar boy. Not only that, I was baptized. And I was, I was part of the Sunday school there. My mom brought me every day from age five until, until age 16. And as though he was searching for other things, I would just tell him that I'm a decent person. And I remember my uncle saying, would you like to know if that's wrong? Would you like to know if that's wrong? How are you going to get to heaven tonight? If you had to tell me about the things you've done in your life and and the, the achievements, even the religious achievements, would you have any... Any desire tonight to know if that's, if that's wrong, if that's the wrong answer. Some people don't. Some people don't no. <laughs> I remember the man saying, yeah, I'd like to know that's wrong. He said, it is wrong. It is wrong. Why? Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He's, he's not concerned with my actions. In fact, the only actions that I've ever offered to God were wrongs. It's just that. The, the fact that he came though, and I, I, I searched, I looked online, I said, there's got to be other truths that we take in this life to just be universal. You'd say, as we go the world round, and as we, 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 we circumference this globe, there has to be things that you'd say, at the core, we all believe, we all believe. I did do a fair amount of research online, but I, I think I found a couple. You know, you can't choose, someone has said, you can't choose where you're born. You can't choose your parents. You can't choose when you'll be born. A lot of us would have liked to have existed 200 years ago or maybe 200 years from now. But you can't choose when you're going to be born. You can't choose where you're going to be born. You can't choose to whom you're going to be born. And, and, and this is one of those universal truths. But you make do. You, you make the best of a situation. That's that's called life. You, you take the when and the where and the who, and you know what, you live. You live. It's a universal truth, except for one man. One man, he got to choose who he would be born to, where he would be born, and when he would be born. Jesus Christ, born in a manger, born to the people who were penniless, Born at a time when corruption and ungodliness was at its height. And you'd say, why? Because he said himself, he goes, to this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world. that I might tell people the truth. What's the truth? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the truth. That is the whole truth. That is nothing but the truth. You say, the fact that we don't choose, and he did, why did he come? Why did Christ Jesus come? We, we 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 never think about that. We wear the crosses on our neck, we plaster them on our buildings, and we say, is that why he came? The only man who came to die. The only man who came into this world to die. And you'd say, for what cause? What did he have to gain from it? Our whole lives are spent on a, on a gain type mentality. We work where we work for gain. We live where we live because we think it gives us the best possibility. And you'd say everything about us is gain except for Christ. He came here in order to lose his life, to lay it down, to lose, you'd say. He had shame heaped upon him. He was scorned. You say he came into this world to give everything he had in order to gain you. Another truth, not just the truth of where we start from, but I read this truth. Someone has said happiness. Happiness is fleeting. It comes and it goes. Would anybody disagree with that? Would anybody? Just, just nod at me. Just nod if you disagree. Yeah, I disagree, Dave. I think happiness is, is, is here to stay. I'll be happy every day of my life if I can remain in northern New Jersey. No, we all know no matter where you come from and no matter where you go, happiness is fleeting. Why? Well, they tell me that it's an old Latin word. Happiness is all dependent on the happenings around you and they change. What happens around me changes. The people around me are changing. The circumstances around me change from day to day. And so you, you can't help but rise and fall and rise and fall. And, and it seems that happiness is, is like a, on a tide that will go by you as soon as the circumstances change. But yet the Bible says, the Bible says joy, joy, which doesn't depend on circumstances. It doesn't depend on what happens. Joy comes from Jesus Christ. And there's joy in heaven when one soul gets saved. How do souls get saved? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You say joy in heaven to to add meaning, meaning to my life. You'd say to know the man who adds meaning, Christ Jesus. I thought of one more universal saying, and it's just this. We say in life. And I look at an audience tonight of, 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 of good, decent, I shouldn't say good, no one's good, of decent people, and you'd say this, you know, we learn in life. Some, if you learn it early, it's great. If you learn it late, so be it. Life does not, it doesn't matter what you have. That doesn't, what you have doesn't add meaning to life. What you have, your possessions, add no meaning to your life. It's who you have. We all agree with that. It's one of those universal statements. It's accepted the world round that from the I remember my mom, we used to drive through parts of uh, some bigger towns. You see these mansions, she'd always go, "They're not happy, you know? And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I think you know they're not happy." And I was like, "Well, maybe they are, you know, but it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter what you have, you'd say. What matters is who you have. And so you say the most poverty-stricken people that we know are the people who have isolated themselves. They've separated themselves from family and friends. They've, 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 They've wanted nothing to do. You say those are the people who are the poorest. What about when it comes time to salvation? Why are we all turning to the one who is in heaven and emptying our pockets and saying, here's what I got? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Nothing. I offer nothing. Everything about salvation has nothing to do with a what and has everything to do with a who. The meaning to my existence has nothing to do with a what. And I'll go beyond that. It has everything to do with one person, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells me that when he purchased me, not only did he buy me out of my sinful life, not only did he buy me from an eternity in hell, but he bought me from a meaningless life, from a life without meaning. And so these truths, you'd say the whole world accepts them. And yet you come to the Bible and they all find, as it were, they all find their destruction in this great truth. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the difficult part. Sinners. It almost kind of just rolls off your tongue. But as you start to focus on, on what it means, as you start to think of the, the disgust uh, and the hatred we have uh, for, for things in our lives, the regrets... Um, the, the things that we'd like to do over. The things that we've said and that we've done that we want no one to know about. That's everyone here, just in case you didn't know. The things that occupy my memory and yours, your mind and mine, that we would, we would have to leave the area if people knew about them. The wrongs and the evils and the filth of a life. And you'd say the one things that are dragging me down to a place called hell. And yet, never did it sound so good. Because that's who Christ came to save. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You need to be saved tonight. You need to be saved from sin, from a sinful life. You need to be saved from the things that are going to cause one day for you to be gone from this world. Because we know that sin causes death and sin causes separation from God. And yet this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And, and just in case you'd say, that's great, Dave, and you're, you're looking for a way to grasp that. I love the way he ends it. I love the way he ends the verse and I, 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 I say it in my own fashion tonight. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It was me. It was me. My whole life. From the day I was born, I Almost it almost seems, when we always say, what were, what were the, your child's first words? It's usually, uh, it's usually a mother, mom, or dad. But, but as it were, if you were to take the first sentiment of my heart from when I was born, it was just this. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Uh, when, when, when I... When I scraped words with chalk on my grandparents' uh, upstairs attic, I'm just remembering that now as I see them, and they asked me, who did it? It wasn't me. When when I broke the lamp in our living room on 162 Payne Ave, who was it? It wasn't me. When it came time in high school for things that would get me suspended, and they come to me and they said, who did it? It wasn't me. When, When I wrecked one of our work trucks and they asked me, who put the line down the side of it? It wasn't me. And in my whole life, and I I bring up some of the humorous things, but think of some of the destitute and depraved things. And I would say, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And then this truth comes in. It says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm about to say the same thing. And I recognize, no, it was me. That's who he came to save. He came to save me. So one thing that takes me from going down And it directs me up. It's the only, it's the only person worth believing because he's the only person who can forgive sins. He's the only man who came and died instead of me. And Paul says, mark his words, just mark his words, of whom I am chief. He doesn't say I was chief. He didn't say I used to be the chief of sinners or maybe 30 years ago. Maybe he says, I don't know who is anymore. He says, I am My friend, tonight, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's who I am. That's who I am. I don't deserve this forgiveness. I couldn't earn this forgiveness. I couldn't achieve this. But God graciously gives it because he gave his son. And Christ Jesus came. Thank God that he came, came right to where I was, didn't ask me to move an inch right into this world. The world didn't want him, didn't ask me to move. He came right to where I was and he came to a place called Calvary and died for me to save. We often say, oh, put your name there. No, my friend, just put your sins where they should be, right at his cross, he died for them. If you recognize that, that it was him for you, Him for your sins. These are 25 words that would give you life. They would give you peace. They would give you an absolute guarantee of heaven tonight. An absolute guarantee. 100% guarantee of heaven tonight. Why? Because these words come from the God of heaven. They're concerning his son. And they are offered to everyone. It's a trustworthy saying. Worthy to be accepted by all that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It was me. What about you?
1: Would you turn please to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. (laughs) verse 5. But he, this is speaking about the Lord Jesus, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, would you back up to verse one, and we'll just get the context of this very important verse. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him, Jesus would grow up before God, as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, would you allow me just to recap those verses? They are saying, in effect, we did not know who Jesus was. We did not know who Jesus was. We saw nothing in him to attract us. We despised him. We rejected him. We did not value him. We did not know who Jesus was. Notice verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. They are saying we did not know why he died. That he was being punished by God is what they're saying, that God smote him, because he was a blasphemer claiming to be the messiah so verses 1 to 3 they didn't know who he was verse 4 they didn't know why he died that is what lends significance to the next word which of course is the conjunction of contrast everything now is pivoting on this it's 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 swinging now into something different but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. We are saved. So the question then that I hope you will think about tonight is, for people who did not know who Jesus was and did not know why Jesus died, some change takes place in verse 5 and between the first word of verse 5 and the end of the verse, something, they have come to understand something that enables them to say, we're saved. We're saved. People who were confused about who Jesus was, people who were confused about why he died, find out something, tell us what that is, and then add, we're saved. What did they find out? They found out exactly what my dear brother David has been telling you. They found out that Jesus died for them. He was wounded for our transgressions. He wasn't punished because he was a blasphemer. He died for us. And realizing that, they were able to say, we are saved. Now, without wasting your time or confusing you, just allow me to say that Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 is the central verse in the central section of the central chapter in the central division of the book of Isaiah. In other words, at the very heart of Isaiah's message that corresponds to the New Testament, at the very center of it, is this incredibly important truth that at Calvary, he was wounded for our transgressions. That's the central truth of the gospel. That's not a part of the message that we preach. It's not a peripheral idea that comes in when we talk about something else. At the very core of the gospel message is this reality that Christ came to save sinners, that Christ died for the sins of guilty men and women. It is the Achilles tendon of the gospel. If you cut it, the message can't stand because it all centers on what he did at Calvary. Now, I do want to major on that in the short time I have. Just allow me to pass over very quickly what they're telling us about their sins, because just maybe we will fit in here somewhere. Do you notice that they're confessing their blindness, how blind they were? They're saying that we didn't see any form or comeliness in him. There was no beauty to draw us. There was was nothing about him that, that made us think this is the kind of man we want. They were looking for a military leader who would shatter the power of Rome and set the nation free. And instead, somebody's coming to save them by dying on a cross. So there was nothing about him. They're confessing now nothing about him that drew them. Notice that they realized how biased they were. They despised him. They rejected him. They didn't value him. It's one thing to ignore someone. It's another thing to scorn and ridicule and despise someone. Now they're admitting to that. That still happens today. What did Ted Turner say some years ago? The former owner of uh, Turner Broadcasting and CNN and the Atlanta Braves. Quote, Christianity is a religion for losers. I don't want anybody dying for me. Christianity is a religion for losers. I don't want anybody dying for me. And I think that there are some of us here tonight, if you wished, we could tell you when the meeting is done, that we have heard language directed to very similar to this toward the Lord Jesus, still despised today. And of course, in what they say about his death at Calvary, they are confessing how blasphemous they were. That here he came to save them. He came to die on the cross for their iniquities, their transgressions, their sins. And yet they were thinking, God must punish this man. He is an evil man who claimed he was the son of God. And now there he is on a cross and God will punish him for his sins. But this is what they found out. They found out that there was a mighty sacrifice being made on that cross. There were sufferings that were being endured. Endured and it was all for them. For them. Let me give you the description of Calvary so that you'll understand what the Lord Jesus went through for you. That word wounded means pierced. He was pierced. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced. The thorns pierced his brow. The nails pierced his hands and his feet. The spear Pierced his side. But the Bible says that God drew his sword to use poetic language. And it was the sword of, uh, of God, the, the sword of judgment, that pierced the Lord Jesus at Calvary when he was suffering for sins. It's, it's not what men did to him, it's what he and his Father, he and God did on that cross. He on the cross, God on the throne of heaven, punishing the Lord Jesus, he was pierced, he was bruised for our iniquities. It means to be pulverized, to be crushed. You know, in Job chapter 4, sometimes think of this when I see one of those feathery moths, you know. You know how easy it is to crush a moth? Job chapter 4 says humans can be brought to their death quicker than a moth. They can be crushed. They can be crushed. The Bible speaks about the enemies of God being crushed in a coming judgment. But here at Calvary, the eternal son of God was being crushed. Crushed. What was crushing him? What was crushing him? Here's how Peter explained it his own self. Bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Brother David has told us that this is a verse of, entire verse is a verse of 25 words. Interestingly enough, Isaiah 53 and 5, Isaiah 53 and 6. All have the same amount of words in our English translation, 26 in each. And in each of them, you're learning how he was crushed. Listen to what verse 6 says. The Lord, that is the Lord God, laid on the Lord Jesus the iniquity of us all. And when I remember that the Lord Jesus described what he was going through at Calvary, as though we were coming into deep waters, as though we were sinking and there was, there was no footing, no, nowhere to stand. And then I think that at that precise moment, God was taking the ponderous, overwhelming weight of my sins and laying them on him. And that the Lamb of God, sin bearer for the world, was being crushed at Calvary for you. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was chastised, punished. It's the word that's used, for instance, about a disobedient son who needs to be chastised, corrected, brought back into the right path. But this is the son who always did everything that pleased God. And yet, there at Calvary, God was punishing Christ for my sins. May I ask you why? May I ask you why? I don't mean why was he willing to do it, I mean, what was the purpose? Why would God punish Jesus? Every one of us deserved to be punished. He's the only one who never deserved to be punished. Yet he is the one who was punished. Why? He was punished because God doesn't want to punish you. So he stepped into the place of guilty sinners. And he was pierced. And he was pulverized. And he was punished. And these people in this verse realize if that was for me, I'm saved. I'm healed. That's Isaiah's word for salvation because he starts in verse one to describe sin as being like a loathsome disease from the sole of the foot to the head. There's no soundness in us, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. And so when he wants to talk about being delivered from sin, he talks about this healing, this salvation. Some years ago, Mr. Mr. The late Mr. Sidney Maxwell and I were having meetings in a place called Saugus, Massachusetts. And there were a few people after the meeting that had some questions. And I ended up out at a Friendly's restaurant, Remember, member of Massachusetts, a Friendly's restaurant with a young couple. They were recently married. She was saved, he was not. I was sitting across from them at the table, and he had questions, and I was trying to answer them. One of the verses that we read was Isaiah 53. And I went over some of the things that I've mentioned to you already tonight. And then in my infinite wisdom, I wanted to turn him to a, a New Testament verse. And I, I, the Bible, of course, was facing him. And I reached over to grab some pages and turn to the New Testament. And his hand shot out. No, no, he said, leave it. I can see that. Just leave that. Well, I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box, but I knew to leave it. So I just left it right there. And he's looking at that verse. And he turned to his wife, and he said, I'm saved. I'm saved. Well, she tried to ask some questions, but she couldn't, right? (laughs) No, no, he said, look right there, with his stripes. With his stripes. I always remember that the the waitress was coming with a uh, carafe of coffee, you know? And as she starts to come to the table, she sees this man and woman dissolving in tears on each other's shoulders, and she just did a complete 180. She turned around and went back. She had no idea what was happening. Do you know what was happening? Do you know what just had happened? A human being who was on the way to hell had had his eternal destiny changed by the man who died at Calvary. With his stripes, we are saved. Did did you hear it? With his stripes? Not by my faith. Not by my tears. It's not your belief. It's his blood. It's what he did. With his stripes, You will understand that when they're talking about what he went through, that the Lord Jesus turned that Roman cross into an altar, offering one eternally valuable sacrifice to God that extinguished the wrath of God against my sins. And so with his stripes, I'm saved. I'm saved. And God is offering that, proffering it to you tonight. So just allow me to point out to you, The magnificent salvation that's all wrapped up in this. Who is acting in this verse? Who is acting? If you look at the verbs, who is acting? God wounded him and God bruised him and God punished him. All the action is on the part of divine persons. Christ was bearing it all. He was the one who was wounded. He was the one who was bruised. He was the one who was pulverized. He was the one who was punished. The only contribution I had in that verse is that they were my sins, my iniquities, the punishment that I deserve. But all all the action is on Christ's part. So when you approach salvation, do you approach salvation as this is what Jesus did? Now, if I just do my part, I'll be saved. Because when I look at this verse, I realize all of the action, active part, all of the action is on the part of God and his son. I noticed that the satisfaction is all because of what Christ accomplished. It's what he did and what he did perfectly. You see, I could never have satisfied God. I did not satisfy God. It was not that God was finally satisfied with me when I believed on his son. It was rather that now I was satisfied with what Jesus had done for me and with what his word said. I have never satisfied God as far as my sins are concerned. God did that. I was having meetings in Florida some years ago. And there was a, a couple, fairly young couple, coming to the meetings. I, I have uh, in front of me, I have what she wrote. Um, she, was on the way, she was on the way to see her religious advisor to ask him why he didn't preach about being born again and why he didn't tell people that they could actually be saved and sure of going to heaven because that's what she had learned at the gospel meetings. She stopped in to see her friends who babysat her children. And uh, people I was staying with, but I wasn't home. So she's talking to Joe Pocopio. She's sitting at the table with Joe. So she says to Joe, I-, I said to Kristen, that's Joe's daughter. I said to Kristen last night that I never knew that Isaiah 53 had the story of Jesus on the cross in it. And Joe said, yes. Was there something that you saw last night that you realized from those verses? She said, yes, I saw that Jesus was in that chapter, that it was all about him. Okay, Joe said, but what does that mean for you? She said, well, it says he was wounded and bruised for our sins and with his stripes we are healed. So I, I guess he took the punishment there. Joe said there was a long pause. He just let her just keep looking at the word of God. And he said, well, then are your sins on him or are they on you? Well, she said, it says the punishment was on him. With his stripes we were healed. So that means they're gone if he took them, isn't that right, Joe? He said, Well then where are your sins? Well, they're they're gone. If he took them, I'll just have to give you her words, okay? Just just bear with me. Just they're gone. If he, if he if he took them then they're gone. Wow. <laughs> That's it, isn't it? I can't believe it. I never I never saw that before. Man, how come I never saw that before? It's all been done by him. It's all been done by him. That's why these people can say With his stripes, we are saved. I remember when her husband, a year later, texted me and said, Jesus died for me, I'm saved. Jesus died for me, I'm saved. That just sounds awfully simple to you, doesn't it? There should have been so much more about that, shouldn't there? Not for a sinner who realizes he's going to hell. Jesus died for me. I'm saved. So what's the reaction here? What is their language? With his stripes, we are healed. If all the work was done by Christ, then there was no work for them to do. They realized that. If all the suffering was done by Christ, then there was no suffering for them to endure. If all the satisfaction had been made by Christ, then there was no sacrifice for them to bring. So they're grasping this wonderful truth. He was wounded for me. He was bruised for me. He was crushed for me with his stripes. I am saved. You realize this chapter was written 800 years, almost 800 years, before the Lord Jesus came. Now, accuracy does not seem to be very high on the list of sought-after qualities in reporting just now, today. Isaiah says, who's believed our report? Do you know what he has reported? With pinpoint precision, with laser-like accuracy, he has reported the birth, life, rejection, death, sufferings, burial, resurrection, and coming glory of the Lord Jesus. Do you think you can believe God's report? We've already heard. It's worthy of everybody's acceptance. I will tell you what happens when a person believes God's report. Here's Here's exactly what happens. I'll give it to you in Bible language. You know what happens? With his stripes, that person is healed.